You know, they say you should never meet your heroes. Well, for young music producer Aaron Green, work would force him into doing just that. In a world that's losing its real rock stars, Aaron must retrieve former star Aldous Snow from rock bottom and get him to the Greek. I'm James Hockenjoes, and this is The Rewind. Hey guys, this is Jimmy, and you're listening to The Rewind, presented by House of Hats Podcast Network. Your scientists are so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they just stop and shut, Never tell me the odds. The Rewind. The Rewind. It's we're back here we go back to back what are we doing we're talking about another movie it's a classic from 2010 2010 2010 2010 stars russell brand and jonah hill they travel all across two continents to try and get eldest snow to perform for his first night of his big tour in la we're talking about get him to the greek what's up james hawking just alongside gage zangi this is the rewind and that was a perfect introduction. We are speaking of Get Him to the Greek, the standalone sequel to the 2008 film Forgetting Sarah Marshall, yes. which, we, which I, we covered two weeks ago. Two weeks ago, yes, to this date, and I made sure to wear the same exact outfit for this occasion. <laughs> <laughs> we covered it a few minutes ago, but, you know, we're releasing them We separately. had to do the back-to-back, and I didn't know why James wanted to do the back-to-back, because I hadn't seen Forgetting Sarah Marshall before this morning. And then once Aldous Snow was introduced in the movie, I realized that they are related films. Yes, that's correct. This movie was created mm-hmm. upon the success of Forgetting Sarah Marshall by Siegel. I don't think he was as involved in this film as he was in Forgetting Sarah Marshall. But it's also Nicholas Stoller directing. Yes. Also Judd produced. This is actually written, directed, produced by Nick Stoller. He went for the triple threat on this one. Nice, nice. Produced by Judd, obviously. Cast is Russell Brand as Aldous Snow. Mm-hmm. You got Jonah Hill as Aaron Green. Yep. You have Elizabeth Moss, shout out The Handmaid's Tale, as Daphne. Mm-hmm. Um, Who plays Jackie? Rose Byrne plays Jackie Q. Okay. P. Diddy's there. Yeah, Sean P. Diddy comes as Sergio. I don't have my list in front of me. I'm better when I got my dual screen action yeah, and shit, yeah, yeah. you know? I think that's it on the stars, though, right? Yes. Yeah, we do have, like, the father, but he's he's just, like, a yeah. uh, Or uh, he just comes in real quick. And yeah, those, are the, those uh, are the main characters. We hit them all. Yeah. Yeah. The runtime on this film is 109 minutes. Budget is $40 million. Do you know what its box office was? 97.8. Is it 97.8 or was it 91? Maybe that's hot 95. I thought it was 91.7, which is hot. Yeah, that's hot 97. I think it <laughs> might be 97.8. I know it's written down on your phone. No, Point. no, it wasn't because that was only forgetting. But you had guessed. Oh, I didn't give you my get them to you the guest. And you guessed two very specific numbers. And it wasn't the 105, but it was the 98. It made about 98 million. It was, yeah, it was about $98 million. Critical uh, critical success, financial success, all of that good stuff. First time you saw the movie was, we just addressed this off camera. I was camera. definitely in high school. Uh, it had to be right after it came out. Yeah, because it came out in 2010, and I had seen it at least a couple times. 
before my senior trip in 2011 where I got it played on my high school bus, which I'm surprised they let that happen. Right. We were, but we were fucking jamming out we, to ride me inside me super tight. Boom, boom, shake the room like it's dynamite. <laughs> Hell yeah, dude. Love that, dude. Love that. Hell yeah. So we were on the same bus. So I guess I, that couldn't have been the first time I saw it. So it must have been before this. Yeah, you probably saw it beforehand. Probably saw it before this. Uh-huh. Because like I was saying, that was my... Yeah, I probably saw it right around, you know, a little bit before that. But that year, 2011, like a year after it was out, I didn't see it in movie theaters. Yeah. Very quotable film. Very quotable, hysterical, like belly laughing. Like yeah. I was belly laughing today. There was points where I was editing and watching the movie at the same time like this. Yeah. And I would have to just pause the fucking edit and just laugh. Like, yeah. <laughs> like I can't pay attention to two things at once. Yeah. I definitely score this movie higher than Forgetting Sarah Marshall. You get way more star power out of Jonah Hill. And yeah. now I don't know if that's the extra two years. I'm sure he did plenty of work in between these two movies to maybe come into his own a little bit more. But regardless, it's just straight up a better performance. And, you know, it's written to be. He's a starring yeah. part. He's a small part yeah. in Sarah Marshall. I'll also give, like, you probably don't prepare the same. Like, he's not preparing for the same. Yeah, like, I mean, how many role. days of shooting you think he did for forgetting Sarah Marshall? Two weeks, maybe? Yeah. If and that? Like, you're not preparing the same. You're not no. digging into the character the same way. And also, his character in forgetting Sarah Marshall wasn't given much depth to begin with. But No, he's largely a throwaway character. Yeah, but now he's got a whole fucking character arc. I mean, we're following him for the whole story. He's who we relate to in the movie. So. Yeah, Um. I, I, I give this an 8.2. I was going to go 8-1. I'm going to give it an 8.2. Do we do the points? What do you mean? Like in our previous podcast, have we done like 8.2 or had we said like 82? No, it's always been Barstool Pizza rule, review rules. Have one, we? 1 to 10 with that. Oh, my brain The goes. first one we ever did, shout out uh, Gangs in New York. That one was 1 to 5. And then after that, we were like, this is fucking stupid. Just everyone understands 1 to 10. Like. Yeah. Because when we were doing one to five, you were like, well, I have it at about a 7.3. So I guess three point, I guess it's oh, like a three point six. six low, yeah. And then... yeah, it was a whole deal. But it's definitely since episode two, it's been one to 10 decimals encouraged. Yes. Decimals definitely encouraged. I think we should do a scale of one to 12 next time just to throw everyone off. <laughs> when we do <laughs> when we do movies like trilogies and series and stuff, instead of fucking scoring them, you got to place it. So when we uh, do Harry Potter 2, instead yeah. of scoring it, you just need to give me a number 1 to 8. Where does it where does it rank? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm with that. Jesus Christ, I do a whole Harry Potter marathon, dude. I want to do all the Harry Potters. I just feel like if we do it, we got to do all eight of them in a row. And then that's not all... same day. No, not same day, but re like uh, soon. release, not, you know, release them concurrently. Yeah. Like, I don't want to do Chamber or uh, Sorcerer's Stone, rather. Yeah. I almost said Philosopher's Stone, like we're not in New York. Like we're in fucking Yeah, like, like Hello? I'm, like I'm fucking J.K. Rowling's cousin. Dude. What's a sorcerer? We have philosophers. I don't know what they fucking say over there. But yeah, I mean, what's your favorite Harry Potter? Book or movie? Movie. Goblet of Fire. This is a book podcast? No. No, I mean, you do that. Yeah, I guess, the, fair point. Fair point. Goblet of Fire is my favorite movie. I could have guessed that. Hollows is probably my favorite book. Mm. 
You see, order either that or or, or Prince. Really? Yeah. Phoenix, order of Phoenix is a good one. That's when the death starts. You know. That's when the death starts. The action. The That's when it starts to get own. really dark. Yeah, they get like they kind of break away from Hogwarts. They're like, oh, we're gonna train on our own. And also, you start to see the development of the like team where like well, yeah. Harry's his dad and Ron is you know like. Bron would be serious. Um, yeah, Luna would be Snape. Luna would be Snape. Hermione would be Harry's mom. And then uh, Neville, Neville would be Peter. Remus Lupin. No, no, so I saw Neville would be Pettigrew. You're right. Yeah, but like the, but like if Pettigrew did the right thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because all six of the of them who wind up at the end of Order of the Phoenix in the. Battle of the Department of Mysteries, it's the six of them that are all there, and that's where it's like these are like the new marauders. You know, that's yeah. where it's like we still we're starting to really draw the line in the sand for the next war and all of the parallels to the first one. Because mm-hmm. the first four are rather light. I mean, I guess Goblet of Fire is the first murder at the end, and that's where the lightheartedness for the most part of the series just stops. Yeah. And you're like, oh shit, they're actually in danger. Yeah, the next four movies after this one, or th- yeah, four movies after this one are going to be dark, dark, dark tones. Should we just pivot to Harry Potter? No, I don't think we should just pivot <laughs> to Harry Potter. We should pivot back to what we were doing. So I'm going eight point two, eight one. Um, damn, we got to get one we disagree on heavily. It's got to be something. But for now, we're here. We'll just for now we're here. We're, we're doing get him to the Greek. Yeah, I mean, from the minute that I watched this the first time, I don't think it's, it doesn't lose its luster. Yeah. It's funny every time you watch it. I could probably watch this movie once a week for the rest of my life. What subgenre does this movie fall into? Would you call it a dark comedy? No. No. Maybe a rom-com. But it's like a buddy. It's kind of like a buddy movie. A buddy adventure what is that? Yeah, from? like whatever you would characterize like Harold and Kumar go to White Castle as. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's the same kind of characterization of that. Yeah. Or like the Wedding Crashers vibe, but that has more of a romantic or, you know, uh-huh. romanticized um, endgame to it. Mm-hmm. Hold on. I'm going to look up this this genre real quick. That is escaping my mind. Blake Snyder genres. Is it White? Oh, Golden Fleece. Golden Fleece is what Blake Snyder refers to these movies. Golden as. Fleece? Yeah, it's the adventure movies. It's the like something happens, uh, catalyst happens, and you got to go on this journey through space, like, like actually go somewhere and do all these things to get to, you know, the final character arcs. Solve the problem that they all have and change characters and find out your better version of yourself, which they both do in this movie. Yeah, for sure. For sure, I got you on that. Um, what I wanted to say was the music. A lot of the music in this movie, most of the music in this movie is all fictional music. The majority of the the band Infant Sorrow, which is the legendary rock band that Aldous Snow is the frontman for, fictional band. Forget the band that actually plays the music. Mm-hmm. There's an actual band, obviously, that play. Infant Sorrow, they took that name from the poem. The poem, Infant Sorrow. Old, yeah, Infant Sorrow. There's, there was two poems from, it was Infant Sorrow and Infant. Um, the other one was the opposite. So I don't know if it was either like gratification. Adult happiness? No, it was still Infant. They were both Infant. They were poems uh, from like way back in the day. 
Anywho, point I'm trying to get at, Jason Siegel composed, wrote most of this music. I think at least half of the music on the If and Sorrow soundtrack, Jason Siegel has writing credits on, as well as the Jackie Q songs. What about Fuck Your Shit? Fuck Your Shit Up. That was the other one that I was going to bring <laughs> up, which is pretty much how we start the movie. Yeah. We follow Jonah, Aaron Green, to his job at... Pioneer Records, which you can only assume he's like a step above a paid intern, right? Um, I'd say more than that. I mean, they're con yeah, but they're peons. The There's yeah, but they're everyone in that room is a peon to an extent. You know what I mean? Like well, none of them seem like executive producers. They're all like junior producers yeah. working for Sergio, who is the executive producer. I mean, yeah, they're. They're in that world. He's not a step above a paid intern. I mean, he's definitely like so doing I, things. My I mean, point is, when you brought this up on the Forgetting Sarah Marshall pod, when they're in that meeting room, yeah. the pitch meeting, and they're looking for, for, he's looking for ideas. He's looking for something big. Yeah. Jonah Hill suggests the the 10-year anniversary at the Greek Theater, and I ran all these numbers, and I, we're, I, I project we can make X amount of dollars, DVD sales, this, that, the third. Never expecting... Even if it did get, yes, that's a good idea. Even if it got greenlit. Yeah. He never expected that he would all of a sudden be the guy. Not the A&R, but he would be the producer sent over to go make sure this whole thing happened. Yeah. I don't think he ever expected in a million years that that would be given to him. Yeah. So that's what makes me say he's a lower level guy. Like I'm yes, gonna, he definitely I'm, wasn't qualified. I'm going to pitch that. this idea and then someone else is going to take it and run with it. And like maybe if I'm lucky, they might give me a little bonus or yeah. something. Get some acknowledgement. So when does Daphne break up with him? Is it before he gets the news that he's going to do this or after? It's right after. It's so after he, he goes to like, work. I'm leaving. I got this huge opportunity. And she's like, we're breaking up because I'm going to Seattle. He goes to work. She Remember, she comes in. Yeah. From, goes to sleep. He goes, oh, you, you want to film ourselves fucking for two hours before I go to work? And she's like, you're so funny. He goes to work, goes to that pitch meeting, does the whole deal. Then I think, I can't remember if he goes to lunch with her and they have the whole I'm going to Seattle thing. Mm -hmm. That definitely happens after Sergio tells him, right? See this part, I don't remember. I, and I just watched this movie a few hours ago. I'm pretty sure he goes to lunch. Yeah. She says, we're moving to Seattle. This and that. They have that fight. And then she says... um, well, maybe we should take some time. She never says we should break up or anything like that. Yeah. All she says is we should take some time. And then they have the fight. He goes and goes back to work from lunch. And that's when Sergio tells him. Oh. That's when Sergio tells him. Everyone loved it. Aldis is down. You're going in however many days, like tomorrow or whatever. Yeah, he does tell Aldis he's down. Aldis, then, yeah, Aldis he says he's down. Aldis is like, I didn't know. Well, that and then that scene is just no. It's not that he didn't know he was doing this. It's just wasn't that concert in two months? Like I oh, thought that yeah, was in two yeah. months, and and it, that's the ultimate scene right there. Where even though, so we know Aldis, but we don't, right? Because you can't assume that everyone watching this movie is coming from forgetting Sarah Marshall. So we got to introduce all of our characters, regardless. You do treat it as a standalone. So this is the first part of the movie where you see he's just surrounded by enabling yes men because it's his own mother. And then is that his manager or it's not his dad? Is it his father-in-law? Guy banging his mom? 
yeah, it's not his dad. Because remember, the, like Jonah knocks on the door. The guy goes, oh, my God, you hear from the show for the Greek theater, right? He's like, yeah, I talked to you on the phone. The show's in three days. He's like, yeah, awesome. We're so excited. And then as soon as Aldis goes, hey, that show at the Greek theater, that's not for two months, right? And that guy mm-hmm. has this, like, puzzling look on his face like he's thinking. And he goes, yeah, no, you're, you're right. That's not for two months. But he just told, he yeah. just opened the door and welcomed Aaron Green into the house, knowing exactly what he was there for yeah. and what the deal was. Yeah. So this is just a bunch of people that are walking around this guy like he's a ticking time bomb because, one, he's a volatile personality. Yeah. Right? This is what this scene is telling you. Yeah. Is that he's an explosive, volatile personality. And yeah. he's everybody's fucking nut. Yeah. He's everybody's fucking bank. Yeah. You know? So that's right, right away showing you the troubles that Aaron Green is going to have to go through that Diddy already kind of warned him about, mm-hmm. right away, instantly, you see where the problem's going to lie. Yeah, work. just thrown into the big leagues. And then right away, he can't, even when he's trying to say no to this guy, he can't say no to him. Mm-hmm. And he just gets abused on that whole run. And then that's a great line from that movie is he goes, why should we even get on the plane now when we could have possibly the best night of your life? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And they're walking, he's talking, he's like, oh, what's the matter, Aaron? The girl's got you down, this and that. He's like, oh, you got a long-term relationship? And she, he says, no, nah, we just broke up, actually. And that's the first time you ever hear the word broke up. Yeah. It's the first time you ever hear that phrase. They yeah. never spoke about it. Because later, she's like, what? <clears throat> she's like, what are you talking We live together. Yeah. <laughs> but that's a great line, which I have in, in the finalist for best uh, quotes for later on. Look at these two girls over here, Aaron. Come on, let's go have sex with them. He's like, which one you want? Blonde or brunette? Blonde or brunette? He's like, oh, no, no. He's like, what color was your ex? He goes, brunette. He goes, blonde it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So what happens then to actually get all this to New York for the first time? Um. No, they just basically party their asses off and they wind up scheduling the flight for seven o'clock in the morning mm-hmm. and they wake up and get on the flight and fly over to do the Today Show. And and that's when... Contraband up the ass. No, that's the flight from New York to L.A. Uh, so they get to... Well, cause we'll get, so they get to New York. Sergio tells him, you're, on, you're in New York. Great. Your only job right now is to keep him sober for the Today Show. Yeah. As he says this, Aldis pulls out the flask. And Jonah Hill, who is obviously not a big partier, that's just told by his characterization and his body language, which yeah. great physical acting yeah. in this scene, but throughout the movie from Jonah Hill, he goes, oh, I'm feeling like some whiskey. You mind if I uh, take some? And he grabs it and he t- slams it. But it's like, obvi- one, it's somebody who, it look, like, it's very clear he's never drank out of a flask before. Yeah. And he's doing like this move where it's like the... Yeah. <laughs> Just trying to drink it as fast as he possibly can. Just yeah. And as he's doing that, Aldis pulls out the joint. And he goes, hey, you know, I'm actually feeling like getting a little buzz on too, right? And he takes the joint and he's holding it like anyone who's grabbing their first joint would like like this. Yeah. And he's sucking the thing down as fast as he can. He's got a fucking like yeah. a Stanley Steamer fucking ash hanging off the thing. And Aldis just goes, it's not cool what you're doing, man. It's not cool. I know what you're doing. It's not cool. And they get to the Today Show. And they're like, do you know how late you are? And Russell Brand's like, oh, he's, this is Aaron Green. He's like, well, he turns around. He's got puke down his fucking jacket yeah. and all over his mouth. He's like, he looks at the, the lady from the Today Show and he goes, my mom loves your shit. And she's like, okay, you, you smell like a homeless guy. And Russell Brand goes, he looks after me. So that's why we're late. 
<laughs> and then there's the whole bit with, I don't know the lyrics to African Child. Yeah. And he's running around causing fucking mayhem. Yeah. Looking f- just dr- shit faced. Yeah. Absolutely shit. Trips not, bro. How much money, how much money do you think he cost the studio that day? If you remember that scene, he knocked yeah. two separate, like big portable light stands over, like the big ones. Yeah. yeah, yeah. One of them went through the catering table, so probably a thousand dollars in catering plus however much, <laughs> however much that, however much that light yeah, cost plus the other light cost. So we're probably up to almost five figures already. Yeah. And then when he's running outside, he trips over the wire, which I think pulls down another light stand. Yeah. Oh no, he doesn't trip over a wire. He hits the fucking, like the little belt, like that you would see for the lines, like the security belt for like the line at the airport or yeah. whatever, the crowd control belts. Hits that and hits the fucking deck, and I'm pretty sure he takes down. Like a security barrier with him. Yeah. So he's just running around. So up, in the in the in the roughly an hour that they're on set at the Today Show. Yeah. He caused at least ten thousand dollars in damage. You think? Like, yeah. At least. Like probably three fucking portable light sets, all of the catering, and like plus a fire went up when the lights went down. Yeah. Go through the catering table and then it catches fire. Mm-hmm. So God knows how much equipment this fucking guy ruins. Dude gets on stage, yeah. doesn't know the words to African Child, plays a completely different song, and it winds up being a hit. When the clap. The, the clap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The clap. Yeah. I got the clap. You got the clap. <laughs> uh, <laughs> the clap, man. I mean, that that's my whole childhood right there. You remember him going up to the drummer and be like, <laughs> you know the words to African Child? No, I just smile and do the African. I just do the African well, smile. <laughs> he goes... Hey man, you, you know the words to African child? He's like, I don't know the words. So I just bang the drums and do the Africa face. <laughs> but then during the performance, he's given holding the microphone out to the crowd, and the one girl's like, I got the clap. And then he holds the microphone out to like the cop or the security guard, and he's like, I got the clap. And then they give the mic to Jonah. He goes, I'm so shit faced. <laughs> and they just keep jump cutting to the guys in the truck that are like, oh. Get the West Coast on the line. Let them know that they're going to have to trim the balls. Because <laughs> <laughs> fucking uh, Aldous Snow's dry hopping the camera. He grabs the camera and starts fucking fucking the camera lens. They just keep cutting to the two guys in the truck. Like, get the three-second delay on. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, that was an excellent scene. And a first, like, oh, okay, so this is when, like, things are rough for Aaron. Well, and so like, we even, we skipped over this. I mean, granted, I guess we're just doing the whole synopsis of the plot here real quick. On the flight mm-hmm. to oh, New sorry. York. Give me one second here. Gage's ordering soup. She for dinner with his Now we're getting gyros. Oh, gyros. Oh, no, fucked it. Uh, your Wi-Fi fucked me up. I didn't have enough time to convince her otherwise it's all right i like to get lamb, lamb yeah, a good little lamb over rice platter can't beat yeah. that so on that plane ride to, from london to new york city is when he asks him about all of his work and he says yeah i'm a big fan of your stuff i like all of your albums mm-hmm. it's like did you like the album african child and he's lying to him about it and he's like come on mate like be honest with me and then he basically rips into him too hard yeah. and he's like dude i respect you for being honest that was very brave but you cut a little too deep and I do hate you for it. Hateful respect. <laughs> so between that conversation that we have and then he gets on stage and forgets African Child and plays the clap, which Joan Hill had already told him was one of his favorite Infant Sorrow songs. Yeah. Gets the huge reaction that he gets on the Today Show. 
these two things are the first, this is what's building the foundation of the relationship that they're going to have by the end of the movie. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so I think that's one of the reasons it's a pivotal scene. Also, you have this dude who's like not qualified, not confident. His girlfriend, you know, he thinks he just got broken up with and his girlfriend's leaving and doesn't really care about him. And then he has to go deal with this overly confident, arrogant person who also has a huge drug problem who he doesn't know has as much bullshit yet. Like he doesn't know all of Aldous's like divorce, child custody, all that stuff. He just sees like basically a God and this God asks him for advice and he gives it to him honestly. And then that God tells him, like I he's, hate you now. He's like, who the fuck are you, mate? Yeah. He's like, what 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 you ever? How many number one singles you ever write? Yeah. And so now you got this guy giving this poor kid terrible advice and basically teaching him how to be as a person, but teaching him wrongly. And now it's up to Jonah Hill to decipher that and choose like, okay, am I gonna believe you or am I or is there are there other ways to think and be? That's kind of like his whole arc throughout dealing with Aldous is like finding the bullshit, cutting through it. It's also sort of perfect in a way that he is super underqualified. Yeah. But he is a fan. He is a real, true, genuine music fan. Yeah. Who can answer the questions that Aldous may have about his musical style and his musical direction mm-hmm. and how he can be successful going forward. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like indirectly a perfect marriage that nobody knows is going to happen. Mm-hmm. You know, like in the beginning, Jonah's just like, fuck. Well, even by the end, Jonah's like, fuck this guy. Like, I don't care Yeah. if he kills himself, basically. Yeah. Um, Aldous also made an African child as like a, you know, his I'm going to change the world song. And to do that, you got to be special to the person. To think like you... Uh, well, but so that's the tip. That's, this is my responsibility to make this song. I don't know if they based him off of anybody, if they based him Bono. off of Bono, right? Because I was going to say Bono because it just has a Bono feel to uh, it. I mean, I uh, yeah, I think there's like elements of like, oh, take Bono and twist him into like the worst person. But the whole African child deal is like they're shedding light on the celebrity who has become so famous that they've lost their touch with reality. Oh, that they become tone deaf? Yeah, that yeah. they're tone deaf to what's going on. And they think like everything he did about African child was in the right mind, but in the right place. His heart was in the right place. Yeah. But is he's so far removed from the real world and from these actual real problems that are going on in Africa. Um. That it just winds up being a flop. And then, of course, now I don't think this term even existed back in 2010. But today, that would be like the white knight kind of a deal, right? Like nobody's asking for you. He even says it when he's on set of African Child. He's like, oh, you know, I told the – Jesus. I told um, my team, like, you know, I wanted kind of like a white African Christ from space. (laughs) <laughs> and this is what they came up with. <laughs> He's like, now nah, I'm not, I would never call myself white African Christ, white African space Christ. It's like, that's for other people to say. <laughs> so he's even saying that like the joke is right on the head, like the white savior shit yeah. where it's not going to play well because 
almost, especially the people you're targeting, are going to be like, we, we didn't ask for this. I don't think that him as a character was saying, I don't think him as a character was that self-aware. I think he was being arrogant. No, he was being ag- arrogant, but he it was written that way, like uh, in the, you know what I'm saying? Like in jest. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And then that's one of the best parts of the whole movie is that whole opening scene where they're doing African Child and they go through all of the newspaper clippings and says African Child is the worst thing for Africa since apartheid. <laughs> <laughs> and that's something you have to look because it's not visually spoken. Like a lot yeah. of people won't pay attention to those those like newspaper clipping scenes yeah. that happen in movies. Every single one of those headlines is amazing. It's African Child, worst thing for Africa since apartheid. Um what was the other one? Um, African child comes in at number three behind famine and war as the most detrimental things to African oh. history. He's <laughs> <laughs> really hammering That's him. That's what he's saying to him, when, him after after Aaron tells him that, uh, that he liked African child. He's like, the Rolling Stones said it was third behind famine and yeah. war. And then there was one other one that they said. There was one other headline yeah. from a newspaper about bashing African child. So we're leaving New York. Why does Aldous give Jonah or Aaron the the eight ball or whatever he has? The dope. Heroin? The yeah, heroin. Give him the dope? Um, well, the, so while they're in New York, they go out partying. New York is where they do the absinthe, right? Yeah. So they're in the bar yeah. in New York that night and they're having a few drinks and he's like, oh, you know, this is the point where Daphne calls him and mm-hmm. this is the club. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Daphne calls him and he says, what do you mean? Like we broke up like what this and that. Yeah. And goes back. He's like, all right, you know, it's getting kind of late. We should hang it in. We should mail it in. And Russell Brand goes, you ever have absinthe before? And he's like, no. He's like, all right, let's do a shot of absinthe, and then we'll go away, and then we'll go, we'll, we'll turn in. He's like, all right, man, just one shot, and we'll right to the hotel. And he goes, oi, absinthe. <laughs> Bartender brings it over. He picks up the bottle. He's like, one little shot of naughty water and straight to the hotel, all right? <laughs> and they fucking take the shot, and then I forget the sign. It's you know that song yeah, yeah. that's so happy together yeah, yeah. they're playing that song and it's just an amazing slow motion scene with fucking jonah hill with his eyes fucking yeah wide they're part of they they just do the whole deal like where they distort everything so you can have you're seeing it through his eyes for a little bit and he's hammered and they're fucking drinking all night and then it cuts to him passed out on the couch covered in puke in Russell, in uh, what's his For face? The second time that day. Yeah, <laughs> second time that day is covered in puke, sleeping on the couch of Russell Brand's penthouse in New York. That's when Russell Brand is on the phone with Jackie Q, telling her he loves her and this and that, and he she's in bed with Lars Sullivan yeah. or Lars Ulrich rather. Yeah. Lars Sullivan was a pro wrestler. <laughs> Lars Ulrich from Metallica. Yeah. And he basically tells her he loves her and, and she says like, you know, it's not she doesn't give him a positive reaction to it. Yeah. And that is when he decides he wants to get the heroin. Yeah. So on the on the car ride over to the plane. So uh, stop, I want to get a pretzel. Yeah. <laughs> and then the driver's like, wow, this guy really wants a pretzel, huh? <laughs> and Aaron goes, he's not getting a pretzel. is he? And the guy's just like, nope. 
So yeah, then so even that's great because, oh, we only got 15 minutes to catch an international flight. Wouldn't be worried about it. Remember, that's from the first flight. Yeah, from yeah. One, so many great lines. Um, yeah, but then we have the whole deal with the heroin. He's like, it's not meant to be recreational. It's not a hobby. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Close the door on your way out. He calls fucking... He, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is he calls Sergio to tell him about it. Oh, we have a health issue, this and that. He wants me to smuggle drugs up my ass. He's like, then put the drugs up your ass, Aaron. What are you talking about? <laughs> it's biggest loser time. It's biggest loser time. Yeah. It's daddy's favorite show. It's daddy's favorite show. So why doesn't all this do it himself, though? Does he make a comment on that? I don't think he ever comments on it. I think it's just like a one, you're here to do stuff for me. Two, yeah. I'm not getting caught and going to jail. Uh, you're my mule. Yeah. Yeah. And then even to the point where he calls him a mule in the middle of the airport yeah. while they're that's when he decides we're going to switch the tickets from L.A. to Vegas. Mm -hmm. I've decided I want to go see my dad. Mm -hmm. And this is where Joan is trying to fucking tell him. He's like, oh, I did that special favor for you before. He's like, oh, you mean the heroin? He means the heroin. Yeah. Way up in his asshole. <laughs> he's like, he's, he's a mule. He's a mule. <laughs> Man. Yeah, so they, they pit stop in fucking Vegas, and then he talks to his dad. And well, Vegas is where some of the best parts of the whole film happen. I mean, smoke Jeffrey. Come on. Well, I'm not even talking about the Jeffrey. First, they get off the plane. They get to the hotel. Uh-huh. And... Jonah's trying to like, oh, you made a huge oh, tactical. He's like, he tells him, he tells him you made a huge tactical error. He's like, I have your drugs now, this and that. He's not going to give them to him. Yeah. And then Russell Brand fucking chases him and sticks his hands up his ass and pulls them out. And then yeah. he rips it. And then he goes to the front and sees TJ Miller and says, yeah. I'm looking for a guest yeah. and spells out heroin. <laughs> TJ Miller gets stabbed. You have that whole ordeal. That all yeah, happens yeah, yeah. before the party in Vegas. Yeah. And then he comes back. He's like, sorry, man, I couldn't get your heroin. And Russell Brand's like, oh, I forgot I asked you to do that. No, that's all sorted. <laughs> <laughs> it's actually pretty easy to get heroin in Las Vegas. <laughs> oh, like, I forgot about when Russell rips open the bag, when they rip open the bag in the room. And Russell's like, I'm a drug addict. You just fucked with my drugs. Yeah. Now you got to fix it. You just spilled my medicine. Yeah, yeah, he goes, he goes, I'm calm right now. He's like, 20 minutes ago, I was even calmer and I had my fingers up your asshole. You don't want to sit around another half hour, son, or I'll be fucking you up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Emily heard that through headphones before and fucking started laughing. <laughs> yeah, that's old. Looking for a guest? H-E-R-O. Are you looking for heroin right now? Yeah. That's how you think you're going to ask me for heroin? Like you're looking for a guest in the hotel whose last name is heroin? <laughs> Yes, I do. Meet me outside the buffet in tw 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So that all happens before the party. Then do they go to the party? Then they go to the show where his dad plays in the cover band of the Rat Pack. Okay. And then after the show, they go to the after party. Yeah. And that's where Jonah Hill gets um, sodomized against his own will with the dildo. <laughs> yeah. That's where the Jeffrey takes place. Yeah. That's where Sergio shows back up. He's like, hope you had a long night's sleep because we're ready. It's time to mind fuck. Yeah. He's like, we're going to party these people's asses off. We're, they're going to they're gonna be running back to L.A. Does him and his father have like a – they have like a conversation there, right? 
like a heartfelt conversation. They have a conversation about how his father takes all of the responsibility for all of his talent. He says, all of your songs were written in the tip of my cock. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. He's like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, Dad. I didn't realize musical talent came from the balls. He's like, that's it all. I wrote all those songs inside of your ball bag. He's like, is that? He's like, it's the way genetics work. He's like, I'm talking facts here. Like, you would have been nothing without me. Uh-huh. And they have that whole conversation. And then this is where Jonah Hill comes back from getting sodomized mm-hmm. and sits down and he's just like. <laughs> and then they, give him the, then they give him the Jeffrey. Yeah. They give him the hit of Jeffrey, which got to be the signature scene in the movie, right? Oh, yeah. The Dr. whole Freer that one. whole deal, the whole from the minute they sit down. Yeah. He goes Wasn't off and gets he gets opium, a little bleach. <laughs> on angel dust if i'm not mistaken yeah. <laughs> kind of like a drug neapolitan so to speak yeah. <laughs> that's got to be the signature scene in the movie everyone knows the stroke the furry wall deal yeah he's freaking out the stroke the furry wall they get i'm out of my fit it's not even really a funny line but i've always thought it was like it always grabbed me for some reason when jonah's freaking out and his dad's egging him on Mm-hmm. And he finally, he's got him stroking the furry wall and he turns around. He's just, just stroke the furry wall. Just stroke the furry wall. He turns around. Dad, stop bullying my mate. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of my favorite they're lines. On the same side for once. <laughs> what? Like they're on the same side. Yeah. <laughs> well, at this point, this is kind of where they are now on the same side in a way. Yeah. Not quite because it gets worse before it gets better. Yeah. But, but you can tell at this moment. point he's trying to help him out. Like, yeah. With the he furry. Calls him his mate. He keeps coming back up to him, stroke the furry wall, stroke the furry wall. And then Sergio walks up to him and goes, this is what all pussy looked like in the 70s. And rubs his face in it. It's like, I miss it. (laughs) Also, I love this shit. Also, you have the whole deal when they're arguing about the Rat Pack. And he's like, I'd be Frank. And they're like, oh, you can't be Frank. He's like, why? I can't be Frank. I got to be Sammy. It's like, why? I got to be Sammy because I'm black. They're like, well. (laughs) He's like, I look more like Frank than I do like Sammy. Yo, he's great. And um, I, that was a character that I was like, once he popped up in Vegas, I was like, oh, shit, you're in the fucking mix now. Yeah, uh, he's like great. An old friend that just showed up to a party. It was good. He might be the linchpin that makes the whole movie work. You think so? I think so, yeah. Because he's the one telling Jonah he's the one something goes wrong. He's, he's the one like, who's supposed to be Jonah's safety net. And keep moving yeah, forward. He's supposed to be the safety net that Jonah can call and he'll fix it. And yeah. instead he's just like, nah, just dude, you get one moment. This is yours. Go yeah. make something out of it. Yeah. That character is very important to the movie. And excellently sets him up in the beginning when he's like, how, how many kooka balls does he have? Or whatever they call it. He's like, I got, I got 20. I got 20. It's, cool. it's, in, it's in my, my list of quotes. Yeah, it's like, Sergio going, oh, you thought this meeting was for me? Nah, this meeting's for you guys. Sergio going, be all right. I got five villas. I own 20 kookaroos. 21 kookaroos. <laughs> How many kookaroos you own? <laughs> so, like, he sets it up like, I'm fine. So, he's just, he's in it for the action. When he's running in the fucking hotel or the club. Or oh, yeah. He, he even says, I love this shit. shit. Yeah. So he's in it for that and to push Jonah. 
And well, I don't think emotionally he's in it to push Jonah, but like that's his whole fucking point of the story. Well, he's, he's not. He had, he's, he's in it to push he's... Jonah because Jonah still works for him and Pioneer Records. Yeah. And the more successful Jonah is, the more successful he is. The more money he has to buy his kids Jordans. <laughs> you know how many Air Jordan sixes black kids wear? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How do they get to Vegas again? <laughs> how do they get to Vegas? I mean, to uh, to L.A. They drive. Um, the last you see is them taking off in the car and Sergio's chasing them. Oh, yeah, they're running. (laughs) Sergio's chasing them. He gets hit by the car. They stop. He gets up and goes, what'd y'all stop for? And starts running again. And they're like, go, go, go. And then I'm pretty sure they turn up in LA, which would make sense because Vegas to LA is only about four four hours. hours. Yeah. So, yeah, they get to, they get to uh, LA. Yeah. And they drop him off. He goes home. Sort of reconciles. They're, yeah, with, they're like, oh, we had. A he's good trying night. to reconcile with yeah, Daphne. Yeah. He has yeah. the chocolate strawberries. He's got the whole spread laid out. Yeah, and Aldis just shows up because in the meantime, he goes and sucks on some box and then gets left. He goes to talk to his ex-wife to try. Well, he to walks in with a bottle things. of wine. Yes. He walks in with a bottle of wine and says, "Hey, how you doing, love? Could you use an orgasm? I'm giving them out for free lately." <laughs> Yeah. Busts it out, dude. Sucks on the box, and then gets nothing in return. She's yeah. a one-way player about it. Yeah. And then she tells him uh, that F- Naples isn't his son, and that's when he says, "Come on now, like, don't use that to win an argument. You can't come back from that." Yeah. And that's what ultimately breaks him. Yeah. And then he sh- turns back up at their fucking house, forces the threesome. It gets weird. This is where Jonah decides, fuck that guy. He's selfish. He's an asshole. He only cares about himself. He's going to die alone and miserable. Mm-hmm. Sends him off. And that's where we get the phone call where he thinks he's going to kill himself, which leads us into the ending of the movie. Where yeah. Aaron Green shows up, talks him out of killing himself, jumps into the pool instead, shatters half of his wrist, mm-hmm. his upper forearm, whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. It's the wrist bone. And then they have the whole deal where he's the only one sticking up for him. Like, you don't have to do this. We need to take you to the hospital. Don't take these drugs. Mm -hmm. And he's like the only person that actually cared about Aldous Snow, the person, not Aldous Snow, the bottom line. Yeah. Which is ultimately between. That's what he wanted. Between that and the conversation he has with Rose and then Naples. I'm sorry, Jackie Q and then Naples. Yeah. Followed up by Aaron. Coming in and like be you know caring for his well being. Yeah, and the conversation with the father. Yeah, the conversation with the father a little bit too because I it guess goes father. He doesn't want to turn into his father, well, right? Because he or be a miserable. He fuck. sees his father and they have a bad conversation. So then he's pulled kind of to Aaron, and helps him out when Aaron's having a tough time. And then they get to L.A. and everything's cool between him and Aaron. So then he goes, all right, well that last relationship was shit. Thanks, Aaron, for getting me this far. I'm gonna go handle stuff with Jackie. Goes to handle stuff with Jackie. Does not go well. Does not go well. Finds out Naples isn't his son. And then, which could be a lie, but probably isn't. And then, yeah, and then tries to go back to the only other person there from and kind of work his way into his life in a weird way. Sort of. Sort of. Yeah. Like, is that what he's doing there? Because he's not trying to hurt him. I don't think uh... he's trying to hurt him. I don't even know how I could justify the action mm-hmm. of color. I think that's more about being surrounded by I yes think that's people. more cynicism. Like he wants to come into something that's not about him at all and make it about him. 
Yeah. Like he's disguising it as being about Daphne, but it's really about him. Yeah. The, the whole threesome deal. Yeah. I mean, the, anything he does is about him. Yeah. When he goes and plays the show, is it for Aaron? No, it's for himself. Okay. He goes and plays this because he says at the end, because he, when he's literally about to walk on stage with his arm wrapped up and he's got the whole the jacket with no shirt, but the pie's still on. Yeah. yeah. And Aaron tells him, you don't have to do this. We could reschedule it. It's okay. Like he said, no, I want to. Like if I don't go out there, all these people love me and they came out to see me and I'd be letting them down. It's like, so not tonight. Like tonight, these people are going home happy because they, they love me and I love them. And this is the only thing I have really is performing. Mm-hmm. And he says, I'm nervous. I haven't felt anything. It's good to feel something. Yeah. Because I haven't felt anything in so long. Mm-hmm. And that also comes from the conversation with Jackie where she tells him, you haven't allowed yourself to feel any real emotions in years. Because mm-hmm. anytime you start to feel something, you numb yourself with drugs. And she explains to him how much happier she is and how she's not partying anymore and how she can actually like have these real emotions and real relationships with people and actually let Lars Ulrich in. So I think that conversation, that's why I think that conversation is such a linchpin on him coming around. Yeah. So to speak, because even he says, he goes, I was sober for seven years. And she said, yeah, and you did fucking yoga for five hours a day. That's (laughs) mental. She's like, you could make anything heroin if you try hard enough. Yeah. Does anybody have a character arc in this besides Jonah and Aldous? Like Jackie doesn't go through anything. Does Daphne? No, they're no. Him and Daphne split up, right? Aaron and Daphne. No, they stay together in the end. Oh, they do. Yeah. Okay. No, it's really just a two-character story here. Yeah. And everybody else is just side. Yeah. Side pieces, side stories. They're they're all they help drive the plot. Everyone, there's not a lot of wasted motion. Yeah. Which in a movie like this, you could see a lot of it now. A lot of the bar scenes and the drinking scenes, you could argue that that's like wasted, but it's really not because no, every one of them matters. Yeah, that's first of all, it's to show you the dichotomy of lifestyles. Yeah, and the unhealthiness of both of their lifestyles. Like he does too much. Yeah, and Aaron Green's practically not living. He's too. He's green because he, yeah. Well, because he's spending. Holy shit, he's green. They show you that story. Yeah. When he's like, oh, I got tickets to the show. Like, I was hoping you wanted to go. And the girlfriend's like, doesn't seem like it would be worth being tired over. So they're implying right then and there that yeah. he doesn't really get out much and do as much as he would like to do because of his relationship with his girlfriend. Yeah. So where does he, because he starts off, you know, green and experienced. Um, and then he grows into a character that has more experience dealing with bullshit but like what else really changes about him like what changes about his relationship with Daphne is he more accepting I think his confidence his confidence changes his self-worth changes um throughout the course of the movie is he more like okay go to Seattle I'll do my thing here and you know we'll meet up when we meet up does he does that happen more well I'm willing so he winds up getting the job as Aldis Snow, I mean, they're war- they have a working relationship. He calls him his label. He's probably his manager, mm-hmm. right? Or his A&R, or yeah. both. Yeah. 
So that job means he no longer needs to be in L.A. and he's going to freely travel. So I would be willing to bet they move to Seattle. Oh, but he can but he's going to be working with Aldis. So he's going, you know, like he's not going to just take some bullshit job in Seattle. He winds up working with Aldis, which is another reason why he was perfect from the beginning, because low level guy, not a lot of experience in his business. Right. Mm-hmm. But he is an Aldis Snow fan, purist. And he un- he does the whole thing. Aldis Snow should be two guitars, one bass and a drum heavy, and you know, heavy stare. He understands the artist. Yeah. So they're going to be able to, I would imagine they come back together, they work on the next album, and yeah. it's a number one smash hit. Got it. Now we need a triptych. Now we need a part three. What are we doing here? To what this. Are you doing? <laughs> yeah. What are we doing? Part, part three is about Daphne. Yeah. It's a, it's a nursing, it's a medical procedural. It's like ER. <laughs> and they bring it back. And Aldous Snow dies in the first five minutes. Of a heroin overdose or something. Oh, that'd be sad. Come on, get on it. Get on it, Judd. Yeah. <clears throat> hmm. Should we take a break? Yeah, we could take a break. All right. All right, what's up, guys? As everyone knows, this season we are on YouTube. Last season we weren't, and I got to be honest with you, we kind of, we were dressing like shit a little bit, you know? We weren't worried about what people saw. We were wearing pajamas. We had Anthony coming in wearing whatever sweats he wore to work that day. Half the time, I'd roll out of bed and show up to the studio. But now the people are going to see us, and we got to look fresh. We want that fine Italian fucking material. That's right. We're talking Saatchi Di Denaro, streetwear brand from Long Island, New York. The gear is fire. It looks good. Right now, I got the M5 Motivated Money Making Monday morning hoodie on, Okay. You're going to be able to get this and so much more at SachiDDenaro.com. Promo code HAVOC is going to save you 10% off. That's S-A-C-C-H-I-D-I-D-E-N-A-R-O.com. H-A-V-O-C. Promo code HAVOC gets you 10% off. Always authentic, never counterfeit. Sachi Denaro. All right, and after a lovely <laughs> synopsis of Get Him to the Greek, we have entered award show time. Here for you, for us, for this room and that deer on the wall and head coach Mike Dicka. <laughs> Hall of Fame coach Mike Dicka. <laughs> hey, Dub Bears. Here we go. Oh, I lost myself. Uh I've been I've been in and out. Sorry. Oh, we're back in. All right. It's all good. Um so we ran through some of the best quotes already. Two of the ones that I had written down were the Sergio is going to be just fine. Yeah. Um, I own 20 kookaroos. I'm sorry. I own 21 kookaroos. How many <laughs> kookaroos do you own? The and blonde it is. The blonde brunette, blonde brunette, yeah. blonde it is. That was one of them. So, I, I also love the it's biggest loser time. It's biggest loser time. Yeah. It's daddy's favorite show. <laughs> it's daddy's favorite show. Let's run it back real quick. Best actor. Best actor is 110% Russell Brand. Yeah, we got to give it to Russell. I mean, he's carrying the whole... He's the him. He's the, he's the him and get him to the Greek. Yeah. He's the one we're getting to the Greek. He's the yeah. the pseudonym. Uh, no, pseudonym's not the word, but you know what I mean. Yeah, he's, he's the catalyst. He's the problem, and he's the arc, and he, he's driving everything forward, you know. I mean, 
You know, I mix up this a lot with his performance in Arthur, which I think is great. Arthur? Yeah. Like the King Arthur movie? No, nah, his movie Arthur. Uh, he plays like a like a prince, like a prince of England type of character, and just like a man-child. <laughs> it's fucking awesome. <laughs> yes. They have him do a photo shoot with a horse, and he's scared of horses, so he won't go near it. And then his... Whoever's in, like in charge of him trying to get him to go near it, he's like, come on, how could you trust these creatures? How can you trust anybody who makes that type of commitment to a shoe? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, Brussel. Russell Brand is amazing in this film. Yeah. He really took the ball and ran with it from forgetting Sarah Marshall enough to the point that they decided to write and make this movie. Mm-hmm. Nails the onstage work. Oh, yeah. He nails that. That's why we were saying who is he kind of written like in the light of. Yeah. And we said maybe like Bono. I think, but there's a lot of Mick Jagger in there too, and the yes. way he carries himself on stage. Yeah. It's the flamboyant old school European English, you know, rock star. Yeah. The flamboyance, the you know, it's. It, we don't really see that kind of a rock star, even in the time the movie set in 2010. I mean, yeah. I guess it's a little Bruno Mars-esque, right? So he does, like, he really makes you, I mean, he's fucking typecasted as dressing like that now. Like, you think of Russell Brand and you think of this character. Yeah, wearing the man skirts. Yeah, he just, man skirts. Well, that's more forgetting Sarah Marshall when they're coming off the beach. He's got, he's got like, his, you know, his little trunks on. And he's got, like, the beach, like, shawl around his hips. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the I'm thinking more, like, the leather pants, the see-through shirts, the, the deep myriad v. of accessories. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the fucking hands. From, he's from the wrist down. He's got, a, he's got five pounds of jewelry on yeah. each hand. Yeah, he couldn't slit his wrist if he tried. No, nah, that's why he just drugs. <laughs> the easy way out. Yeah, yeah. But definitely, I, I mean... You know, if you were to talk about best actresses between him and Jonah. it's between him and Jonah and argu yeah. and arguably Serge uh, Diddy, Sean Combs. Yeah, but I I have a separate award for Diddy. You could throw Jackie in there, I guess. I mean, you know, I believe she is who she is wholeheartedly. Like, so talking about Rose Byrne with Emily when we were watching the movie. Yeah, I can now. This was a hard one for me to make the comparison for for her. I had to explain it. Very much like I assume I'm going to have to explain myself to you. Had I had the Parley Vu boys with me right now, yeah, they would get it. Rose Byrne is Scottie Pippen. Okay. In the sense that Scottie Pippen was a top seven NBA player his entire career. Yeah. But he played on the same team as a guy named Michael Jordan. Yeah. So any other team in the NBA, he's the star. Yeah. But he had Michael Jordan on his team. Yeah. Rose Byrne is that in every movie she's in. She's amazing in Neighbors. She's the reason the entire movie Neighbors works. Yeah. Zac Efron is Michael Jordan. Mm -hmm. She's Scottie Pippen in this movie, and Russell Brand is Michael Jordan. Ooh. You know what I'm saying? Like she's okay. amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she's never the I number one. I get the Scottie one. Pippen reference. I just didn't apply it to her career. I wasn't sure if you were talking about the character of Jack. No, no, no. I mean Rose Byrne. Yeah. Across her career. Yeah. She's amazing. A great female lead. A great number two. 
Yeah. I'm not saying she can't be a great number one. I just, I mean, find the movie in the comments. Let me know and we'll do a podcast on that. Mm -hmm. But it just seems like every movie she's in, you want to say she's the best actor. Yeah. But no, it's Zac Efron in Neighbors 1 and Neighbors 2. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, should we just go into um, Heat Check then? Yeah, we Since, can. Since, like, that's kind of like the, the, like, best actor is Russell Brand, but the number two kind of goes to the heat check, you know? Sort of, depending. Okay. Because, I mean, the heat check is, for someone who does a lot with not a lot of screen time, I, in a way. So do you, you think, know? like, Sergio has too much screen time? I would argue that he is on the cusp. He's on the cusp of having too much screen time. I gave him a different award. I would allow it if it's you like want. two scenes in a VO. I would allow it. <laughs> two <laughs> scenes in a VO. Who I gave the heat check to, and honestly, it might just be more of we just move this to the scene, but I give it to Jake Johnson and Nick Kroll. In that pitch meeting in the beginning, Yeah. when Jake Johnson's phone goes off, and he, he makes him pick it up in the middle of the meeting, and he's like, hey, Nah, bro, I can't. I can't really talk right now. I'm in the middle of a work meeting. My boss made me pick up the phone to to embarrass me. He's like, "No, I, I swear to God, I'm not kidding." <laughs> yeah, yeah, I gotta go. And then he hangs up the phone, and then Diddy's like, "Throw that phone the fuck out of my office!" And he's like, "What?" He goes, "Throw it out of my office!" And he just turns around and whips the phone out of the office and <laughs> sits back down. He and does then, get up to throw it out too. And then. Uh, Nick Kroll says something about, oh, you know, I really, I think I found something in this girl. I really think she might be the next Alicia Keys. And he's like, oh, oh, now you're going to give me, do you remember the last person that you recommended? The last person you found? Like chocolate daddy. He's like, chocolate fucking daddy. <laughs> like, do you remember how many units chocolate daddy sold? He's like, 15,000. 15,000 units? He's like, I got six kids. That's when he says oh, the line, yeah, the you know how many pairs of Air Jordan 6 black kids wear? <laughs> and um, then Nick Kroll's just real. He's like, I'm proud of every unit. I'm proud of every unit. <laughs> and they keep yelling at him. And at the end, he's just being real quiet. At the whole time, he's being real quiet. And then at the end, he says something to him about wasting his time. And Nick Kroll goes, I'm sorry for my outburst. I'm having a panic attack. <laughs> So I gave the two of them the heat check, but I think that might just be a best scene contender. So TJ Miller. TJ Miller is, is also I thought about. I thought about grouping all of the cameos together for one heat check for this movie. Okay. So both everybody, everybody that, you know, it's really Jake Johnson and Nick Kroll, but all of them that do the cameo in that pit, because Aziz, mm -hmm. you got Aziz in the beginning. Yeah. Then you got the two of them. And um, T.J. Miller towards the end, mm -hmm. and Lars Ulrich, yeah, who does a little bit of acting, yeah. I feel like there's at least one more like killer cameo. The dad's a contender for heat check. The dad's amazing. Yeah. I would allow the dad. Yeah, dad's not in it too long. He's pretty good. He's got some good. He does, and he's also pivotal. Yes. Very important to the. I think I give it to Dad. If if Jack, if Rose and P Diddy have too much screen t screen time, I think I give it to the Dad. 
I'm okay with that. Yeah. I'm okay with giving it to the dad. I just, Nick Kroll, like, he's only in the movie for fucking four minutes. Yeah. And the, so, sorry for my outburst. I just had a panic attack. Or I'm, I'm having a panic attack. I just, <laughs> <laughs> if you like the Kroll show, every bit of that little fucking instance mm -hmm. is the Nick Kroll comedy that you love. Like, yeah. if you're a Nick Kroll fan, that's, that's the stuff that I love out of Nick Kroll. Uh -huh. Not really into the big mouth thing, but that's... I think we're just a little old for it. I haven't. It wasn't seen, meant for us. I it's meant for Kroll fucking show. kids who are. You haven't seen Crawl Show? No. No, I'm talking about Big Mouth though. I've, I've seen Big Mouth. Yeah. Yeah, Big Mouth. I feel like part of me just feels like we aged out of it because it's like meant for kids who are going through puberty or just went through puberty. I and think when, so. I feel like it's meant for kids. I mean, I feel like it's meant for people who have already been through. Yeah, but I, I mean, feel like it's looking back and like laughing at. Like, uh, I don't know. I think bullshit. it really hits. It really maybe. I mean, who am I to say who it was meant for? Nick Crow fucking get at me in the comments. But it resonates the most with like seventh through 11th graders. And I know that because I watched my brother was in that age group at the time and they all loved it. They couldn't oh, really? get enough of it. Yeah. No shit. And it's kind of like. It's kind of like you're getting the sex ed without having to have the awkward conversations with a father or with an uncle or with an older brother. Yeah. You know, like a lot of kids, by the time they're getting eighth grade, they don't need to ask the teacher any questions during the sex ed portion of health class because they have all their answers already because they've seen three seasons of Big Mouth. Yeah. So. Kroll Show was just like sketch comedy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That was great, like awkward, very similar to. Um, I think you should leave. Oh, is it? Yeah. Interesting. Same brand. Nick Kroll does the same brand of comedy, kind of, in yeah. his own way. It's not exactly the same. Okay. I can dig it. I should check it out. What's it on? <sighs> it ran on fucking FX, I think. I. Oh, okay. So I'll look it up. You'd have to look. Best quote. Now, you have to pick one. We ran through a gamut of quotes. I'm not going to lie. I think mine is the medicine. Yeah, I think mine is. I am calm, mate. 20 minutes ago, I was even more calm and I had my fingers up your asshole. You don't want to stick around for another half hour or I'll be fucking you up, son. Yeah, that's mine. That's mine. I think that's mine. I'm trying to. I also I really love Rolling Stone said. <laughs> That African child was third behind famine and war as the most <laughs> as the most detrimental things to African culture. <laughs> what? Well, uh, what? The line to his dad to stop, stop, fuck, stop fucking with my mate. Oh, stop bullying my mate. Yeah, just like dad, stop bullying my mate. The context that's in. <laughs> or when they're on the fucking absinthe. Yeah. And Sergio's head is floating around. Mm -hmm. He's like, look, I'm eating my own head. <laughs> <laughs> I don't see no fucking Gogurts. Yeah. He's like, where's the string cheese, babe? <laughs> it's in the dairy drawer under the Gogurts. I don't see no fucking Gogurts. He's just pissed the whole time. Ultimately, I'm, I'm going, uh, I got to go the fingers in the asshole. Yeah. You know what? I think. I think I was putting a lot of, I was giving P. Diddy a lot of credit for the Sergio performance, but I don't think the performance is that good. I think everything he says is great. And I think his delivery is, is amazing. His comedic his timing is good. I think it was a well-written character. Yeah. He's just like, mm. 
just pissed the whole time. Like, yeah, but he's but he's he's playing an act though. Yeah. Oh, so that I didn't want to forget this. Twice I've made mental notes not to forget this. Um, it's what happens when you go without a producer. What do you want to do? Um, in the beginning, when he tells him that he's going to London to get Aldous Snow to bring him to the Greek theater yeah. in three days, he explains the mind fuck to him. Yeah. He's like, yeah, that's the audience. He's like, you so feel, you feel, I'm, I'm mind fucking you right now. Yeah. He's like, are you? He's like, you can't feel my dick fucking your mind. He's like, not really. He's like, that's the art of the mind fuck. <laughs> <laughs> You got to make them feel like you're doing what you what they want to do, yeah. but you're really making them do whatever you want to do. And then Jonah Hill says, well, I hope you're wearing a condom because I got a dirty mind. <laughs> he looks at him like, what the fuck is wrong with you? <laughs> but yeah, that being said, I'm still fingers in the asshole for sure on best quote. Yeah, yeah. I think that's great. The Showstopper Award, named after Rebel Wilson for her performance in... Uh, Jojo Rabbit. Yes. For this is almost where I would say it's like the second actor in a way, like because it's not the best actor, but this is the person. I think it's the like I'm excited when they come on. They screen. steal the fucking attention every time they're on camera. So Aldous Snow would have been that in Sarah Marshall. Right. Right. Yeah. I giving this one to Sean P. Diddy Combs. That goes to yeah. Without a doubt. Steals every scene he's in. Yeah. And since, I mean, we're going to get to the best scene, but since we're pretty on the same page about the fight, yeah. the after-party fight in Vegas, uh, that's that's like the signature scene of the movie. Mm-hmm. Well, that whole scene is dominated and perpetuated by Sergio. Yeah, stirring shit. Just like, he, oh, we're going yeah. crazy? Okay, let's go crazy. And then the whole, whenever he like pops in and out of shots or like they cut away from him, you're kind of... Thinking like, okay, where in the room is Sergio right now? Like, subconsciously, you're trying to keep a mental map of like where's yeah, and he's the way crazy he's person. the way he's in and out, and like it's almost like, like oh, it's because it's a lot to have, like you said, because he's always angry. It's almost like it's a lot to have him. Like, if he was in this movie, not anymore, but I'd say if he's in this movie like five to ten minutes more, it's too much. Yeah, you know what I mean. So they find good ways to have. He comes in. He's like the person that shows up to the Thanksgiving dinner table, says something about politics, and then goes outside to smoke a cigarette. Mm -hmm. Like you pull a pin on the grenade, throw it, and walk away. Yeah. You know, like I'm going to let everybody – that's exactly what he does in that scene. He starts the fucking fight, (laughs) and then he fucks off for a little bit, and then, you know, he's in and out constantly. At the perfect time, he shows back up. Yeah. And he's indestructible in this movie. Uh He gets hit in the head with the fucking metal plate. Yeah, goes yeah. on the ground, and then when the dad looks back, he's gone. Yeah, he's he just got up and disappeared after he just seemingly got knocked out. Hits by, hit by the car, jumps right back up, starts running back after them. Oh, he's excellent. I'm trying to uh, run a parallel line. Do you think him and another adventure movie where they like they just go on and do a bunch of shit like Booksmart? Have you seen that? Uh, no, I've not seen Booksmart. Okay, there's one character in that who similarly just, like, is the fucking grenade. Like, any scene they're in is just like, oh, shit, chaos. And it's excellent. <laughs> but you should see Booksmart. Do you think it's um, Sergio's character is written in a way to mirror the industry? 
constantly moving forward, all gas, no brake, like abrasive, not caring about. Yeah, I mean, he's also definitely the like work culture part of it. Is like, and like the capitalistic, the capitalistic side of the industry, like you know. Yeah, and also like convincing younger people, like you got to do whatever it takes, or else you're not gonna fuck. Yeah, his like his character is written to demonstrate the cutthroat mentality yeah. of the industry. Yeah, that and all of the bad sides that can come from business. Yeah, yeah, that the party aspect, the, I mean really loving the party aspect not using it as a crutch but like glamorizing it. i don't even know if it's the party it's the chaos no yeah. it's the sheer chaos and anarchy that he thrives in yes yeah he feeds off of it yeah i'm with that with that metaphor so best scene i mean there's obviously the one we just talked about with the stroke the furry wall oh, i think that has to be the best scene um it that's the first time that our characters are on the same side and they're I love the absinthe scene. Okay. I love the whole thing with the absinthe, with the the song is perfect. The way that it's cut. Sorry, I just did this thing where a thought popped into my head. I'm gonna store it. Um, the way that that scene's cut, where it it shows you Jonah's face and then it shows you his point of view and everything's distorted and then it cuts back to his face and he's all fucked up. Yeah. And then they show you Russell Brand, who's like partying but like in control of himself. So it's like the dichotomy of the two of them. Like, and it, obviously he purposely did it so he would be too fucked up to get him home. Mm-hmm. But that's the same scene. I'm pretty sure he throws up on a girl on the dance floor mm-hmm. during that scene. Um, and that's what he pocket dials Daphne while he's talking shit to some girl about it. He's like, oh, I'm basically Aldous Snow's manager now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> um, what I was just thinking about was the other scene, which I am ultimately going to go with here is the best scene. The fight, the stroke, the furry wall deal. Yeah. The best part of the entire movie, the best shot, shot for shot, frame for frame, the best section of this movie mm-hmm. is when he gets stabbed in the heart with the adrenaline needle yeah. and the shot, the shot that's on his face yeah. and comes up with, he's like, I am alive. Yeah. And he gets up and, and the camera's right here. Like yeah. That. yeah. It's the snorry cam. What? It's called a snorri cam. Snorri cam? Yeah, it's a rig. It attaches to the actor's body, so they just jut out like a fucking rig at you. So it keeps the angle direct. Your face is always centered. I figured it was just a selfie stick. Yeah, yeah, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Coming off your crotch. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. We're going to need to get a smaller fucking selfie stick. (laughs) Oh, man. (laughs) Um, And then the end. The scene at the end where they're, everything has come full circle and everyone's happy and they're working together and he performs Furry Walls. Mm-hmm. The first smash hit by this new tag team. Yeah, which they made on the spot. Which is on the ride over from Vegas. <laughs> at, which is so perfect. No, they played that's after. That doesn't happen at the concert. The concert oh, yeah, happens, yeah, yeah. they finish the concert, yeah, yeah. and then it's like several months later or whatever. And uh, they're at like a MTV Unplugged kind of a deal, mm-hmm. but I think it's v- VH1 or whatever it is. And he's like, oh, what's up? This is my friend Aaron Green. He's uh, my best friend. He's my new label. We're business partners. We're going to be working together. And then they play fucking Furry Walls. Yeah. As the fir- that's the first new hit that they worked on together, mm-hmm. which you would assume will go on to a smash, a smashing successful second half of Aldous Snow's career. Yes. Yes. The comeback. 
So, have we covered everything? I mean, favorite fictional song. Oh, that's right. When the world gives you a Jeffrey, stroke the furry wall. No, I'm stroke between, the furry I'm, wall. I'm solidly between two. And that's Boom Boom and Fuck Your Shit. Which one's Boom Boom? Ride me inside me, super tight. It's called Super Tight. Super Tight, that's yeah. it, yeah. Super, super tight, tight, Fuck, fuck your, your Shit Up. What about... What's the O song? How does that go? And she's like, I'm talking about my asshole. A ring, yeah. a ring, around my dirty posy. I'm talking yeah. about my asshole. Indeed. Not up there, but I wanted to want to give it a shout out. What about um, bangers, beans, and mash? Oh fuck! How's that going? Will you come for my bangers? Yeah. My beans and mash. Yeah. So won't you call and come home, please? Call and come home. I actually used to listen to this album like. So like on we, drives. We, when we it's actually worth talking about this album. They purposely did this soundtrack to play, look like, and everything sell everything. It wanted to. They wanted it to sell and look and play as an actual band's album. Yeah. As opposed to a traditional movie soundtrack. Yeah. With that being said, none of like there is a whole separate soundtrack of like you know music that they bought. Yeah. For the movie soundtrack that is not on that album. The album is all the Infant Sorrow music. It's all the Infant I, Sorrow and the Jackie Q music. There's more Infant Sorrow music that wasn't in the movie, yeah. too. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Pretty ridiculous. But Fuck Your Shit is my favorite song, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gonna fuck your shit. I'm gonna flip that switch up. <laughs> <laughs> gonna scratch that itch. <laughs> like, it just well, because it was perfect because at the time, it really, I mean, now in 2021, you look at the state of hip hop, and it's yeah. just—it's enough to make fucking Tupac roll in his grave and Biggie fucking roll in his grave. What's going on nowadays? You sound so old. Well, I pick people that were dead in classic. You know, I, I'm not gonna say, oh, it's enough to make fucking Juice World roll in his grave. I that's think not the, tasteful. I think the the but, message is what sounds old, not the people you chose. Well, c- come on now, I'm—we're pretty modern hip hop fans. Yeah. We, both of us, listened to a broad range of music anywhere from we were fucking throwing down in mosh pits at Warp Tour 10 years ago. Yeah. To, like, I also got excited, smoked weed by myself, and hung out listening to the new Nas album alone when it came out. Great album. Yeah, tremendous. Yeah. God, that's the greatest lyricist of all time. Yeah. Which plays into my point where I think the reason Fuck Your Shit Up resonated so much with us was because it was a parody about the current oh, the success successful hip hop music yeah. that was going on at the time, yeah, where it just resonated with us because we were like, I'm pretty sure I've heard like something very similar <laughs> yeah. to this that just won a Grammy. Like, yeah, <laughs> so I agree. Fuck your shit up is one of my favorites, mm-hmm. but as far as like the infant sorrow music, I think it's bangers, beans, and mash. Uh, mine would be the clap if we're sticking. The clap the is good too. No, no, no. Fuck your shit up. It works. Yeah, but I like. As far as an actual Aldous Snow song, so to speak, Bangers, Beans, and Mesh. I like the clap, too. I mean, you can't go wrong. Yeah. I'm going to fuck your shit, super tight, the clap. That's where I live. Go fuck your shit up, Bangers, Beans, and Mesh, the clap. Okay. Okay. We should play one of those songs as our outro. (laughs) 
<laughs> I don't know if I can get away with it. I mean, we're not making money, so I doubt anyone's going to come for us, but I still try to use the royalty-free music. That's fair. Um, another movie we should definitely consider doing, because, you know, just talking about the fictional music, it got me all psyched. Mm-hmm. What movie do you think I'm talking about with a bunch of fictional music in it? It's a mockumentary. Oh, it's fucking Superstar? Pop Star. Pop Star. Pop Star's got some great... Kit, like, Bin Laden. <laughs> fucked up Bin the Laden. Ibiza. Yeah. The Ibiza song. That one's great. But that's the Lonely Island guys, you know. That's what those kids yeah, do. Yeah, and those were, like, actual concerts, right? Yeah. The footage was, like, actual shows. Yeah. Yeah. What are some other... What are some other movies with, like... Uh, Dewey Cox? Yeah. Another Judd Apatow masterpiece? Dewey Cox is a good one. Yeah. You're talking about one like my fi- favorite fucking fictional music. You're talking about songs with fictional music. Yeah, they have like an album of fictional music. I don't know. It's like a real niche. It's a niche fucking genre in a way, right? Yeah, totally. Okay. And I'm not talking about musicals either. I mean, like, no, there has I to be know. like a band in it that is performing this stuff. Huh. Um, Scott Pilgrim. Scott Pilgrim. Well, they only got the one, really. The black black sheep song. Well, no, they they play I think two or three separate songs. The, their band, and then you have the song that this. There's at least two songs that uh, Envy Envy's band sings. I thought they just do the the black sheep the hello again friend of a friend song, but then everything else is kind of just like music playing. Is it like an actual song? Well, they have the Scott Pilgrim, their band. They have um, Launchpad McQuack. Okay. That's the song that's like, uh, shit, how does it go? I can't fucking remember how it goes now. It's the song, the first song that they're practicing. Yeah, but it just like. I don't know. To the movie, it feels like it's just like sounds happening. Yeah, in a way, I guess. That's all adding to the fact that it's supposed to be like a comic book, though, you know? Yeah. It's like secondary. It's not meant to be a realistic movie. It's meant to be shot as a comic book. Yeah. Inside Lewin Davis has some folky songs, I guess. Yeah, no, nothing else, really. Dewey Cox. I'm sure I'm going to think of like five as soon as we uh, go off air. Yeah. All right. Speaking of, let's do it. Let's call this bitch. Oh, I'm so fucking mad I didn't do this in the last podcast, but that's all right. We'll cut it and edit it in. As always, we're brought to you by House of Havoc Podcasting, Tiger Pack Productions, Sachi D. De Niro, and Stay Thirsty Company. Hey, guys. Thanks for listening to the show, whatever movie it was about. Uh, this is a generic pre-recorded outro, but we hope you had fun. We sure do. Thanks for listening. See you next week. And the only prescription is more cowbell. I will not die sober! Get those fucking loose! That's all, folks.